What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is July 24th, 2023, and this week's episode, the BFF's back with the BMF. We'll talk about a very busy week coming up in mixed martial arts. UFC London taking place on Saturday. A lot of MMA news. Abu Dhabi is set up, but it didn't come without surprises. And a couple free agents and a very big title fight gets a curveball. And we'll cap it off by talking about a loaded weekend coming up. Obviously headlined by UFC 291. The BMF title back on the line. Bellator in action. Big boxing in action. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. We, uh, yeah, BFF's back with BMF. I mean, I never thought there would be another BMF, but I'm happy to see this fight, whether they, you know, whether they're vying for that belt or not. I think it's going to be a heck of a a barn burner, so I'm excited. (laughs) On a personal level, I got to say, when I think about uh, the shows we've done and we've have uh, obviously a lot of inside jokes by now as many times as we've talked on the air i will say probably one of our biggest ones i feel like personally was when we talked about the first bmf title because i think uh that one that show i could have sworn we titled it just like the bmfs with the bffs which (laughs) i still personally love that title i don't care that it sounds like a Monday Morning Cartoon Network title. <laughs> I, I personally thought it was lovely. Yep. Um, but it was a fun show, so I'm really glad we get to revisit a little bit of that. But let, look, loaded show, so let's get into it. Um, UFC London, uh, Return of Tom Aspinall, and uh, no notes, this guy was just dialed in from the get-go. Uh, he was finding his mark early, the speed was clearly apparent, and... It just felt like Marcin Tybura just... Tom Espinel came out of the gate at a, you know, like, gear eight. And Marcin was just, like, at gear four trying to catch up to him from the from the bell. And really, Tom's, obviously, athleticism and his youth and uh, just all of that worked for him. Found his mark early, puts him down, uh, pounds him out for the stoppage. Uh, obviously very emphatic, you know, he kind of exercises those demons in front of the London crowd. Uh, just a beautiful moment for him to watch. What about you? It was a great moment for him, and the the finish was awesome. The step-in elbow, and I can't remember what else he used to, to drop Tybora, and, and that was it. And running to the cage, jumping on top. It was a, a great moment for him. The biggest win on the card... Uh, so it was a good way to end it in London. And he looked great. You know, very few heavyweights can bounce around the cage like that. I think Cyril Gon's the only one I can, you know, that comes to mind right now besides now Tom Aspinall. Uh, so I like that athleticism and the big guys. You don't see it very often. So good win for him. You know, calling out John Jones, you know, you got to do it. I get it. But, um, you know, we'll see. He he had a nice he had a nice sort of path laid out for him, right? It was a uh, winner of uh, Blahovich and uh, ooh, I can't remember. No, like Pavlovich. You mean Pavlovich? Pavlovich. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's right. And so and then after that, if he you know if he beats that person, then it gets John Jones. So he's not trying to jump right into the uh, title contender shot, but still, you know, <laughs> it uh it was a nice little strategy plan there. So good win, good night for him. 
it wasn't like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. Uh, shoot him right to the top kind of performance though. So we'll see where they match him up next. I mean, uh, on his movement, you know, remember, this is a guy who took a year to fix his knee because it right. blew out, right? So the fact that he looked that good on his feet and bouncing, that was very, you know, just great to see as a spectator because it's like, oh, he's such a talented guy. You'd hate to think that, you know, he's now, you know, at a disadvantage and it uh, has lasting effects. So at least for that night, looked good. Like I said, I was there in London when he blew it out and I remember how he looked, seeing the fans just so crestfallen. And I love that he had that moment, like I said. Uh, yeah, you know, I think he knows it. He knows Pavlovich is the next guy in line. He knows Pavlovich has earned the next spot in line. That being said, like like you said, he took advantage of the moment. And not for nothing, now we got to do MMA math. Because if we're being honest, you got John Jones, who has essentially teased that the fight with Stipe is it in November. He could beat Stipe, and now suddenly, vacant title, two guys could get that spot. And I would not hate him versus Pavlovich for the vacant title. I'll say that right now. He's had, you know, I think they said, uh, I heard the stat read to me, like, one of the fastest roads to, like, five UFC victories or something like that. If you look at his topology, he gets those victories very fast. He very rarely leaves the first round, let alone, you know, I think only one of his victories he even needed to go to the second. And so, look, very exciting in that way. Pavlovich, we know what Pavlovich is bringing. He's on a roll. It would be a fun fight. I acknowledge Sergey Spivak is on a roll, too. Mm-hmm. Finished Derek Lewis himself. Has a big fight with Cyril Gaon coming up in, you know, essentially like a, about a month and a little bit of change. So all of that put together does make for a very exciting time at heavyweight. Now, if we have a vacant title, you obviously do Pavlovich against either Aspinall or Spivak if he wins. We talked about it. I wouldn't hate the Battle of the Sergeys either. Mm-hmm. Let's say Stipe wins. For one, uh, I, I, I'm going to just say it. I love Stipe. He, all the accolades, he's earned them. No one can take those from him. When you start having multiple layoffs in between fights, it's not the most reassuring when you as a fan to think this guy has a lot of longevity kind of starts to feel like he's looking for a big one and then may call it a a day too right yeah maybe if Stipe wins Pavlovich fights Stipe maybe Stipe decides you know what this is my second time reclaiming the title I'm gonna go ahead and walk away on top and we still have a vacant title so there's a lot of scenarios but if there's only one slot available for the heavyweight title it goes Pavlovich if there's two, as of right now, I'll just say it. I want Aspinall and Pavlovich. I think Spivak can be the next guy in line, but I think that with the whole hype and obviously the renewed interest in Europe as just this hotbed of mixed martial arts, the UFC, the PFL, Bellator, you know, just renewed interest in holding events like exclusively there. I like the idea of Aspinall potentially being the second European to get back in there and get a UFC title, I mean. And then Spivak could obviously be the next guy in line, but that's how I divide all those pieces. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, that that makes great sense. And it all, of course, once again, waiting on, on what John Jones will do or will, what Stipe Miocic might do. 
Um, so those guys are still controlling uh, the the action down below in the rankings. But um, yeah, I can't I can't argue with any of that. It makes perfect sense. So we'll see with John with John Jones. If you think if he loses to Stipe, he'll still retire or he'll try to get the belt back. You know what? It kind of becomes like the Glover Tashira thing again, right? And Amanda Nunes like. When you've already had so much, it feels like every night you got to ask yourself, will it ever get, will it ever be a better time to do it, uh-huh. to walk away? And if it's on top, cool. If he loses, it's like, well, how bad after everything you've been through, do you really want to try to get it back? Or are you just cool saying, ah, it happened, let's call it a day. It doesn't erase the other, however many victories I have in my career, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's how I feel about it. I mean, he possibly couldn't be like, you know what, I ain't going out like that. But I also acknowledge after all he's been through and the layoffs and the time and the odyssey of John Jones that I'm not going to start. But it's like, uh, you know, really, if you can walk away, why not take it? I do feel like he wants Stipe because Stipe is at a perfect time to kind of get him. He's so decorated Technically, his last fight, he was still the champion before he lost, right? So it feels like it's not a bad time to try to add Stipe to your resume. But like, for example, John Jones, he shouldn't be interested in Pavlovich or Aspinall. Right, it's just right, like, exactly. You know, now you're just giving the younger guys a chance to get it. And I think we made it, he's made it clear that he's done with that part of his career. Yeah, and for Stipe too, you know, I think if he loses... It would be like, why am I going to go fight these other dudes when I've already done so much? So it makes sense unless they can get an immediate re- Like if the fight's worthy of an immediate rematch, if it was a war, not just a, you know, clobbering. So. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'd agree with that, too. Wouldn't mind it. Yeah. Especially if there's like a lot of demand to see them just run it back for whatever reason. Right. In that scenario. Yeah. Like Izzy Pereira. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some highlights. Uh, Julia Stoliarenko spoils the night of Molly McCann. Uh, I just dialed in. You know that crowd outside of Aspinall, they were there for Molly. Obviously, you know, that O2 Arenas. Look, she's had great moments there last year, so it just kind of knew what Stoliarenko was up against. Never let it phase her. Really just throttled Molly. Such an awkward finish, like... People were trying to break down that armbar, and it's like Molly somehow found herself in the one position that you can complete it. I heard that comment going around a lot, but it's like they scrambled, and Julia, Julia, sorry, gets the finish. No notes. It was just really good. What about you? Yeah, it was. I was, and this is where my jujitsu um, ignorance is going to be, you know, on full display. But like. Didn't it see is is it is what they're talking about that it kind of seemed like Molly gave that arm bar to her when she flipped over on the cage or it's something like had she stayed kind of like turtled up or like belly down that it would have been much harder to complete be- right. but because it seemed like Molly tried to roll over to improve position she actually ended up in a position where Julie Stoliarenko had all that space to stretch out the arm and really torque it for the finish. Yeah, she did. She she rolled over on the cage or, you know, walked up on the cage, flipped herself over and extended her, hyperextended her own arm, essentially. So, yeah, it, I think patience just, 
I think she got. Ju- I think she just jumped the gun a little bit. Did Molly? Yeah. Like she thought, like, oh, I'm good. I could probably bounce and get on top, and you know, Stolyarenko was doing well on the feet beforehand. So it's like, oh, I can really fix this, and it, it backfired a bit. Yeah, man, that's a bummer for her, especially because, well, two reasons. You're in London. You've done well there. You've had, you know, highlight reel knockout there. And then she's holding her arm afterwards. And so I hope it's just, you know, immediate aftermath, like pain from the immediate aftermath of the of the stretch and not anything more serious because that's just the, the double whammy nobody wants to lose and be injured and need surgery or something. And remember, she'd been uh, healing up an injury. That's why she wasn't on the March pay-per-view in London. So, uh, yeah, uh, all, a lot of that all around. Stolaranko keeps it moving. Looked good. Uh, obviously moves herself up the rankings. Uh, Paul Craig at middleweight. First off, I'm, I'm going to just say it. I felt a little concerned hearing he was going to middleweight. I think people forget that compared to like going from lightweight to featherweight and things like that, Middleweight to from two oh five is twenty pounds. The others are all ten. Yeah. And so the fact that this big, you know, very built, very tall athlete, I mean, I think about Jalen Turner at lightweight. He's so big and tall that it's like I know he's on it, I know his body's used to it, but it still makes me nervous seeing him big guy draw himself out that much. He looked perfectly fine at eighty five. Uh, did Paul Craig and yeah. really does his thing against Muniz. Uh Obviously, you know, just such a... I get it. You see the Braveheart uh, face pain and you expect him to just throw hands. He is so crafty off of his back. He's one of those few guys where it's like, no, you really don't want to be in his guard because he's so clever and creative and always opportunistic when he's down there. Gets the finish. Calls out Bo Nickel. And I'm not going to lie. I really love that the idea of that fight. I feel like Paul Craig is exactly the kind of guy to test Bo, and for Craig, that's a great way to really inject some good momentum into your middleweight run now. What about you? Yeah, it was a great call-out, very smart, and um, a good performance. The stare-down before they started fighting with Bruce Buffer, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm thinking, I'm looking at Bruce Buffer, and I'm like, you know, should you be like right there in the middle still? (laughs) But like, he was not backing down either. He's like, I'm going to keep saying this. Um, I'm going to keep announcing Paul Craig, whatever, no matter what you guys do. And he was like shoving his little index card in between them. So, I mean, good on all three of them for staying right there in the pocket. Um, That was intense, man. And like, it was, you know, Braveheart, right, come to life in the octagon. And uh, I was a little worried, though, because once the fight got going, Muniz was landing some good shots. Craig was getting a little bloodied up. So I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I mean, I think some people even had Muniz winning that first round. But once Craig got that dominant position, it, it was all over. So good, good, great win for him, really. Great win for him. And in the uh, in the UK crowd. Oh, yeah. Just uh, they loved it. Obviously, everybody. Um, the, the Europeans, once again, had a really great night overall. So it's always good. Uh to see the fans be happy about it. And obviously you want people to show up and show out when it's kind of quote their show. So yeah, a really solid night. Um, I know there were some fans, you know, before the fact, particularly with the ticket prices and I get it, you know, like everything's going up, but I think fans tuning in got 
their entertainment's worth out of the MMA that we got in the cage. But um, yeah, I I do admit that going in, it didn't feel quite like last year's UFC London events. When they got going, it was a fun night, and that's all you could really ask for, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm good with that for sure. Uh, MMA news. There's a lot of it. Let's just start chewing through this one. First off, obviously UFC 294, October 21st, a lot of announcements. Biggest one, Islam Mahachev taking on Charles Oliveira. Charles did say in July, he told me and several other reporters, I want it to be in November or December. I'm not quite ready for October, plain and simple. I don't know if he got the secret juice or whatever, but... He's good. And by secret juice, that's just a Paulo Costa thing. I'm not implying <laughs> Charles is bad. He got the secret sauce or whatever and put it on those joints and said, let's do it. Um, yeah, so obviously that's the headliner. Uh, Polo Costa against Hamza Chemaev. Costa was supposed to fight this Saturday against Ikram Aliskarov. It was on the website as late as, I believe, Friday. Um... Uh, and look, uh, this now becomes an awkward one that I'm going to leave for the end of the show, or not the end of the show, but end of the segment. But there are reports on whether or not Costa actually had any uh, any kind of agreement to fight Ikram. And it just felt like they just kept promoting it. But respectfully, Costa didn't continue to deny it. I think he denied it when it was announced, but then didn't talk about it again. Huh. So there's some awkwardness there. Ikram does get a fight. He's fighting Nazardine Imavov on the undercard as well. There's more fights to be added. Um, before we get into the Costa stuff, just your thoughts on the Abu Dhabi card in general. We essentially get our our three-pack that's going to really carry the show. So what are your thoughts? This is, yeah, Oliver Mahachev rematch is great with coming off of how good Oliver looked against... Oh, geez, not good. Benil Dariush. Uh, and, you know, if you're in the Oliveira camp, you're even more excited about this. Okay, he looked great against Benil Dariush. And Mahachev was in trouble at the end of that fight with Volkanovsky. If there had been a little more time or if Volkanovsky had put it into, you know, sixth gear earlier, could have been a different story. And it was close even with, with him turning it on a little bit too late. So as if you're an Oliveira fan, you're like, this is a favorable matchup right here, you know, considering where they were, how they looked in their last two fights, each or their last fights respectively. So I'm pumped for this one. Oliveira is a dog, man. He's just a dog, and I cannot see this. You know, I'm gonna give it away now. I'm, let's see if I change my mind come October, but I really think he's gonna be able to get it done this time against Mahachev. I mean, they're so... This is that weird one. It kind of feels like Max Holloway, Volkanovsky, right? It's like they're both so good. People like Oliveira so much. But Islam, his style, the stride he's on right now, the run he's on, it just feels like... I'll be honest. It feels like he is the perfect recipe to just unravel a guy like Charles. The size, the grappling, the striking we saw from Uh him against Volk he's such a difficult guy to deal with for anybody but it almost feels like because he's so dense and big for 55 and his skill set on the ground makes him that 
you know, Rubik's Cube for a guy like Charles, ironically. Ironically, I feel like a guy like Gaethje and guys like that might even do better against Islam because you just kind of bang with him with your power and you kind of overpower a lot of that grappling potentially. Um, but Charles, because of the way he likes to operate, feels like he has that struggle with Islam. He's so talented, it's such a good fight, but there's very clearly a style and something to be solved if you're Charles Oliver in this fight. He can obviously do it, and I look forward to seeing it again. Part of me wouldn't have minded them waiting a few more days, Natalie. Part of me wouldn't have minded seeing if Justin or Dustin gets like that one shot 30 seconds in, takes out the other guy, gets on ice for a couple months and then fights Islam in Abu Dhabi. Mm. Fresh opponent, new, you know, just moves it along. We've seen Charles and Islam already. And as a business and as a fan, I feel like, uh, I want I want more heat before we were to do a rematch. It's not bad that we get it, but now for Islam and everybody, I also like to see something new. So That's a good point. And I'm thinking now that you say that, if you're Dustin and Justin, are you watching this announcement and shaking your head like, oh, come on, guys? like Low-key. Yeah. Had to be. Yeah, they got to be. Right, right, right. Also, anything could happen. Somebody stubs their toe and look what happens, right? Yep. Uh, Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal fight island. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these guys are, uh, Dustin, Justin, they're going to come out bruised up, right? Shins, calves, face. But if anyone's more like... If Dustin wins, I don't think he takes the fight in October, July, October. Maybe he would. That's enough time, right? I know Gaethje said that he would be like, nah, like, it's a hard camp. My body needs to heal up even if I win fast. I was about to say, Gaethje's the one who I would have figured would be up for a, a fast turnaround. But okay, that's interesting. I mean, remember that obviously anything could happen, right? Like... They could say, hey, Charles is out. Here's the bag of cash. And Justin suddenly like, you know what? I am feeling a little better. Yep. So anything could happen. But for sure, ideally, you rest up from a training camp like the kind that Justin and Dustin have had. But yeah, once again, business and money talks, Uh especially in this scenario where there is that wiggle room of time. That's right. Um, I like Costa and Shemaya for the hype. Uh, I feel like uh, this. we've been teased this fight for a while. Costa does his part to kind of poke Chimaev a bit. And Hamzat is Hamzat. Uh, anytime that dude starts talking, it's like entertaining. You know, we've been over this. So as personalities clashing, I love it. Stylistically, Polo, you know, Paolo got to show me what he could do to stop those takedowns. Because short of catching him in a bit of a banger... It starts to feel like that grappling of Hamzat is obviously the main weapon. Anything can happen, and I'm sure we're going to feel differently as it gets closer. But for sure, I look at that fight, and it's like, I like the personalities. But that big weapon of grappling is like, Costa, I don't know that I've seen you show me that you can roll with a guy like Hamzat if it gets there. So that's my big question, obviously. What about you? I'm with you on that. I mean, when I heard this matchup, I was not excited. I don't know. Paulo Costa, I have, like, no interest in watching him fight anymore. He just, I just, the whole bottle, I know I keep going back to this, I drank a bottle of wine to help me sleep thing, but he just seems like, <laughs> like I'd rather watch anybody else fight. 
because he does talk a fine game beforehand, but when he gets in there, it's it's not as exciting as it used to be, and his short little arms, and it just there's not a chance he does anything to to uh, Chimaev in this fight. I think Chimaev's going to ragdoll him. Paulo Costa's not going to be able to land much. Um, it'll be over fast. So that doesn't mean it won't be entertaining, but but that's about it. Yeah, like I said, I think I need to be convinced a little bit between now and then, right? Mm, so yep. I'll leave it at that. Uh, Ikram gets a fight. Um, I feel like it is no coincidence that he has not come out and make a statement about whether or not he was ever going to fight this Saturday. Uh, I want us to discuss that a little bit. Paulo Costa and Ikram was not the centerpiece of the table. It was not the main attraction for this card that is still very loaded. But there is no question he was a big addition to what is going to be a very... It's a very stacked card this Saturday. No two ways around it. I don't... If they, if you tell me that the deal fell apart for Cannoneer versus Hamzat and Usman versus Hamzat in Abu Dhabi, and that the UFC called an audible to say, you know what, we want Costa then against Hamzat to really bump up this Abu Dhabi card, I, I don't like it either, but I would get it so much more. Because it's like, all right, this Saturday doesn't need Costa as much as now you really need him in Abu Dhabi for Hamzat. Mm-hmm. I would admit that to you. If all of these reports and rumors are a thing that Polo Costa was never going to fight Ikram and that everybody involved just kept acting like he was going to, mm-hmm. that does leave uh, th- that bad taste. You know what I mean? Because now it feels like, well, imagine if you're a fan that was really looking forward to seeing Costa and, you know, he was part of it and. You know, look, these guys have big fan bases. There's no two ways around it. So the idea that they kind of let that go on, knowing fully well it was never done and not close to being done, like at least with the Whitaker and Costa thing, weeks out, like they both came out and Whitaker did a thing that said, no, I'm not fighting Paolo in Australia. Uh I wish I was. I thought we had it done and we didn't. Okay, it sucked, but it happened. This one, one week out, people already have their flights and their hotels. I really don't like how that happened. And I'll say this finally before I toss it to you. If I am Paulo Costa and honest, you know, right here, he never signed paperwork, he never agreed to it, and I knew the UFC was still promoting this, this may not be the smartest business, but if you're doing right by the fans, you tweet every day, you put out something every few days, to remind people, no, this fight isn't happening. I haven't signed paperwork. I don't know why they're doing it. Because then fans can't be surprised that you're not there. Right. And that's how I feel about it. What about you? So you think Costa should have been thinking about the fans and, and been more... Yes, because he, he, he takes his time to be on social media for everything else. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. You to Follow his uh, Twitter. I'm sorry, his ex now, right? But um, what, what's X? Oh gosh, I'm so out of it. Elon is rebranding it, so if you go to Twitter now, there's not a Twitter logo in the corner. It's just an X. What? When did this happen? Yesterday. Oh, there's an X. Natalie, oh, how silly. Na- Natalie, do some googling. How it was you my husband's that? birthday yesterday. I'm sorry. Oh, did he have a good one? Uh, 
Yes, he did have good one. Okay, oh, that's, that's good. so stupid. The little bird. That's the whole point. I X. Know. Is he? But, is this like him being freaking out over threads? Girl, I don't know. We might have to do another podcast on that. But the fact is, follow Paolo on um him <clears throat> this Bro, platform. Like April Fools, right? Yeah. Like, I hope so, because people, everyone in their mama said, "I'm still calling it Twitter." Not but then, gonna... like, you're still tweeting on tweet. Like, tweeting is a tweet is a derivative of Twitter, right? Like, it's like yes. Know, so what are you Birds Xing? You're Xing? Like, what are you? I mean, oh, I, I'm not. Look, I, I'm getting old too. I don't know slang. I feel like Xing is something else that I don't want to be it's taken out of context. Yeah, like pegging, which I, yeah, it's like a whole. Okay, anyway. It's like, it sounds like something that I don't want on the air. I know. We're probably. I'm Xing. Just. Yeah. What, yeah, someone, we're gonna uh, be, what's yeah. Urban Dictionary say? We'll find that soon. Maybe close <laughs> topology. Anyway, oh the fact okay. is, follow, follow Paolo. He'd been talking about everything else. He has time for everything else. If you know the fight's not happening, you should be telling your fans all the time, guys, I'm not going to be there. It's a great card, but I'm sorry I'm not part of it. I'll say it like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so, but maybe uh, there, there could be a part of uh, some, like, okay, like, it could be like, I'm not going to snitch on the UFC, but but no, man, every fighter's always like, nope, I didn't sign that. I didn't say yes to that. Like, they're always really fast to come forward and, and reveal that they're not you know, agreeing to haven't agreed to a fight, so it's just weird. But isn't everything around Paulo Costa weird? Doesn't everything that has to do with him make you raise an eyebrow? I mean, that's just... that's fair. Um, but okay, on the other side though, what if it's for 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 Hamza? What if they wanted him? What if the Abu Dhabi powers that be wanted him there, and so they said, you know, do what you got to do to make sure he's on that card? Oh, I, I know that that that's part of it. That's why Islam's fighting. That's gotcha. why he's. You know, we heard all these rumors about Kamar Usman. Then Jared Cannonier, I guess Hamzat coach, was like studying for our next opponent. And he's watching the Cannonier-Vittori fight that just happened. Yeah. So it's like, uh, I don't know. And also, I know Jared or somebody, maybe the schmo, just talked to Cannonier. And he addressed it. I just didn't watch it. But it's like, I don't know if guys said no. I don't know if UFC thought we're going to get Cannonier. Maybe they told Hamza Kananir and then Kananir stuck to his guns and said, if I'm not fighting Israel with a victory, I'm not fighting Hamza. And mind you, that's uh, which we will get into with uh, obviously Adesanya threw his curveball. But um, like I said, I don't know if that happened for the fans. I would hope that they called an audible to pull Costa because they couldn't get a deal done for Hamza. Yeah. But if he was never, ever going to be there on Saturday... I just don't like fans being told that he was going to be. No, man, that's 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 totally right, and that's good for you to be thinking about it from that perspective. Who did they move up to the main card then? I think was it Kiesa's fight Kiesa with Holland? Holland. Okay. Yeah. All right, I see. So it's you know that main card still looks great to me, but I I totally understand what where you what you're the perspective you're you're taking. Um, like, Hump, uh, Paulo Costa's not a little fish to get taken off. But that is, he's yeah. a guy with his own pull and fan base, for yeah, sure. For sure, man, for sure. Derek Lewis is on the undercard. Is that weird? I think he's the prelim headliner now. They got, well, at least on the website right now, they have somebody else above him. Gabriel Bonfim and Trevin mm-hmm. Giles. I feel like the intern just dropped the ball yeah, a bit right? then. I, no that can't be correct. right. <laughs> 
feel like the intern well, just forgot to hit the down arrow. That hey, shouldn't hey, be speaking right. Speaking of interns dropping the ball, what was the the, the deal with the cage side press post? Not not that it was them dropping the ball that UFC had on their website. MVP Patricky, is that true? Oh my lord! I think that's just some weird gamesmanship the UFC is playing. Dude, that's I really icy, don't man. know. They said it's been up there most of the year, like since March. Oh, okay, never mind. I, I don't even get it, but I, I think that's I think that's just some trolling happening. Okay. I don't know. Some people said, is it possible like a fight pass thing? Like they've grappled and competed, but oh, okay. AJ okay. McKee has never been part of anything that isn't Bellator. So how would he end up there? I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. Watch the UFC announces they bought Bellator in like a week and we're like, holy. True, but I saw that. I was like, oh my God, are they going to seriously buy Bellator? It was like the, the PFL buying them was going to be the perfect story and UFC, UFC just rains on the parade. Yep, yeah, UFC doesn't need them, but PFL and Bellator need each other, I think, or the fighters anyway, do. Yeah. And moving on. <laughs> yeah, look, so Abu Dhabi, that's October 21st, UFC 294. Uh, you, I didn't, this would be 293 then. Uh, in Australia, September 10th, Israel Adesanya takes to social media, says Drake is hurt, he's not taking the fight. Ariel Helwani corroborated it, kind of what we suspected. Dracus was a little banged up. He had a tough camp for Robert Whittaker, which is what you expect when you prep for Robert Whittaker. Uh, Adesanya says Dracus isn't ready. Says, you know, just rips it off like a band-aid and says, Dracus, you're out. Strickland, you're in. Let's do this. Let's do the man dance and all that. Obviously referencing what I know to be his podcast with Chris Curtis. So I'm like, okay, you know, I... All right, so let, let's just call it what it is. We always knew there was a chance he doesn't fight Dracus in Australia. Uh-huh. It does hurt me because after you watch that whole confrontation in the cage, it's hard to get up for something that's not that fight. It's like, come on, we were we were ready, you know, drag the carcass, African brother, uh, yada, yada, yada. yada. Yeah. It's right there. We're ready to dive in. Um Strickland Adesanya isn't bad. I love the clash of personalities. They're so different and you expect some kind of craziness when they talk to each other. That being said, stylistically, it kind of feels like a good fight for Adesanya. Now, Strickland did say, we are talking, but I need to get paid. He wants that payday for fighting Adesanya. When you listen, you remember Adesanya, he talked to Cannoneer after their fight in the cage and it's on the the clips and all that and he's telling them, hey, did you get taken care of? Did they pay you for this fight? I do like this concept that if the talk gets back to Adesanya, that Adesanya would push to say, pay him a little more. Get it done. He deserves it. It's a title fight, etc. That being said, we go back to it. We don't get Adesanya Strickland when we or we don't get Adesanya Dracus when that's what we wanted it is what it is what are your thoughts yeah I mean I agree it is what it is because Adesanya is going to fight in September he's ready to go and Strickland has just come off of a you know a big well a, a great win right oh, gosh please do remind me who he fought uh, he just uh, beat uh, uh, Abus Magomedov that's right okay yeah and, you know, Abus was um, not, like, surprisingly not the easiest on paper, right? It seemed like it could be a challenge for him, but 
he just kind of walked through them. So Strickland's riding high. He's got a lot to say on the mic. So the lead up to this is going to be hilarious. He's already criticized Adesanya for the pearl necklace and the nail polish and probably a bunch more that I just haven't heard. He's completely a loose cannon, a wild card. You know, Adesanya's in the cage saying, my African bleep brother, right? Um, And Strickland can say something equally offensive in his own, you know, for whatever other conversation he's having with anybody else. Like, they're both on the mic saying crazy things. They're going to get after each other. And in the cage, they're both going to be super pissed. So it's a good fight in general, right? In general. Not the fight we wanted to see, though considering how Drakus and Adesanya faced off. But I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. I think if if there, there's nobody else, if Drakus isn't available, who else but Strickland? Uh, Loki, uh, I like this because it feels like a great time for Adesanya to get a guy like Strickland. We get the right amount of time afterward to build up a fight with Drakus. You know, full camp, guys rest up, guys heal injuries, and then they get after it to the best of their ability. Like we said, Adesanya was always going to fight in Australia. UFC told him, we want Drakus too, but let's make it clear. We just signed a multi-year deal. They want you. You're fighting on that date. Right. If it's Drakus, if it's Strickland, if it's Cannoneer, if it's Jamal, if it's... Uh, you know, mom. pick somebody, you yep. know? You know what I mean? They, they told him, you're fighting in September. Don't get it twisted just because Dracus isn't there. Um, to go back to Strickland, I mean, I'm not going to rehash what it, we you just uh, pointed out. Uh feel the same. Um, once again, and I'll send you the clip. Their whole press conference thing last year, some clips have it at 12 million views, which I just checked. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a little... Uh, egotistical and I like seeing my face with 12 million views but the fact is there is a level of interest in this fight and they are going to sell it I don't know if in the cage I am as confident that they are going to have the most exciting fight but I also acknowledge I get it Strickland's personality doesn't suggest all the time kind of like Colby Uh Joe Rogan said it Max Holloway said it usually guys who talk like that aren't as great as fighting yeah that's and true. for crying out loud, Strickland is really good. He's a deceptively just technical patient. Yes. His cardio is fantastic. Timing, shot selection. For a guy who doesn't hit hard in a division of bangers, he is really good at getting fist to face and avoiding taking a lot of damage. Usually the Pereira fight is the Pereira fight. Right, yeah. right. But anyway, so I acknowledge that for Strickland, but once again, also it's Adesanya. Like, him and Volk, you could argue maybe the top two guys in MMA. John Jones is in there. Mahachev. But the fact is, it's a short list of the 600-plus people. The fact that he's unquestionably one of the top five says everything you need to know. Um, but yeah, look. I hope they get the deal done. If we get another curveball and they're like, you know what? We couldn't get Strickland. We're doing Cannoneer number two. I may have some different feelings, but I'm going to leave it at, I think they're going to get it done. We will, uh, here's my prediction. During Saturday's pay-per-view, they're going to announce Adesanya Strickland. Leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. I like it. 
Um, a couple more quick ones. MVP Michael Venom Page is a free agent. He is looking to test the market after a 10-year run in Bellator. He didn't close the door. He said, it's very possible that I go back to Bellator anyway and they're the best place for me. But I just want to know what I'm worth out there. Obviously, he's a very exciting striker. Obviously, he has a great fan base and quite the showman out there. Here's my question, and I'm going to tip my hand uh, first just to keep us moving. I like certain matchups for MVP in MMA, like against the Wonderboy Thompsons, the Ian Garys of the world, the other bangers and strikers of MMA. I would love to see him throw with those guys in UFC, some PFL guys, some places like that, right? Maybe one championship wouldn't mind it, right? He'd obviously be a great fit over there too. I, uh, I'm going to just say it right now. We've had 10 years of this. I do not want to watch Michael Venom Page grapple. I don't like watching people grapple him. I think I've been given everything I need to know about his ability to grapple. <laughs> if I don't have to watch Michael Venom Page grapple, I'm happy about it. And in that way, if a karate combat or something like that decides they want him, if uh, one championship decides they want him for Muay Thai kickboxing, don't hate it, would love it. But if he's going to be somewhere where he's going to be fed some wrestlers, can't say I'm, I'm, I'm as interested, plain and simple. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, when I heard the story, I thought, okay, well, definitely he's not going to go to the UFC. He would just get demolished. Um, going back to Bellator, like, it's just for what? And especially with this impending allegedly impending sale and he's fought everybody there it's really. okay. it's like for what you've already fought everybody um pfl again like the success rate is going to be really low because it's mixed martial arts at this stage in his career i agree i just want to see him do his mvp thing and so yeah i was thinking also one championship that would be a great place for him because they're willing to you know um I mean, they have many options. They have Muay Thai. They have if he if he said I want to do uh, you know something like karate combat and one championship, they would probably uh, indulge that. Or if not, then he could do Muay Thai um, or just go to karate combat. If one is willing to do a you know a halfsies, you know, then he could do both if they're inclined on on sharing a fighter because that would be good too. Karate combat wouldn't could benefit from the boost of him being MVP and um, and he would get to show his show off his MVPs you know his skills man his uh, the way he darts in and out fast hands low to the side you know that's what we want to see and you're not going to see that if he signs with just a traditional MMA promotion yep fair enough uh, there's so many options for him he's an asset anywhere like if you tell me MVP's going to UFC tomorrow, I, if they pair him with the right fight, I'd still say, well, this should be fun. But for sure, at this stage, I want to see him in some fun fights. I want to see him pushed and show how good he can be in striking. Um, I don't know about the grappling. Like, if he st were to go to UFC, you start running into the Colby Covingtons, guys like that. Um, in PFL... Like, look, both him and well, yeah, him and Sadabusi are really tall. I think that could be fun on the feet. But you know, once again, they have a diet of grapplers over there too at welterweight, so it becomes that issue. 
there's going to be a spot for him. I just don't know. It depends on what each promotion, their particular plan for him would be. And I'll leave it at that. I, I think that that's what it is. We need to know what is every company's plan for MVP. That determines how much, you know, how much of a fit he will be when he gets there. Uh, another one, uh, this one I thought was very interesting. I kind of missed it, and that's my fault. Rumors about Ronda Rousey, the UFC yeah. pioneer for the women, um, potentially coming back. Chelsea Chandler dropped this, and now there have been reports about whether or not it was ever a thing. There's been questions, how does Chelsea Chandler know this? Of, yeah, uh, what, why is she getting this information? Like, She's she... the one that ran in the cage, right? Yeah, where'd yeah, okay. she get that one from, right? Anyway, uh, let's talk about a couple things, though. We are approaching UFC 300 next spring. And with all the guys now getting booked, there is starting to become the question, if you were to load it up, who would be available in roughly nine months or so? Eight, nine months, right? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, Ronda's got a lot of history. And not for nothing, her WWE contract is coming up. And there's been a lot of talk about what is actually coming up next for her. Uh, would she stay in WWE? Remember, she's a mom now. Her daughter's getting a little bit older, isn't just fresh out of the womb and all that. So there is this feeling that Ronda, even if she were to stay in WWE, she would want a much lighter schedule. Only big events, doesn't do every show, probably doesn't travel internationally as much so she could be home with her child. We know she's not a big fan of like the, you know, I, I like to be away from home everywhere. She's a very, you know, just very chill outside of the, you know, the ring and all that outside of the show. With UFC, particularly now that they are both owned by Endeavor, there is the question that these companies could come together. They could work out a schedule and just quite bluntly throw a huge bag at Ronda Rousey to do a one-off appearance that would definitely bolster the pay-per-view. Which leads me to my question. Obviously, in theory, it's exciting. But in reality, how much do you actually want to see a Ronda Rousey return um, at Featherweight? It's just a one-off. It's for a division that seems to be here one day, gone the next day already. Uh, how do you feel about it? I hate it. Um, I love Ronda Rousey. You know that. I'm still a huge fan of hers. I don't want to see her get beat up in the cage because I don't see how that how I don't see how you have any other result but that. It's been too long. Is she doing athletic, you know, athletic stuff in WWE? Yeah, and then some, right? Jumping off the ropes, doing all kinds of crazy, way more insane stuff than in a in in the cage um, with her whole body but the skill set the you know the muscle memory for fighting in the cage like that there's no way that's sharp and who on earth could you match her up against at 145 that could give her even a a, a, a you know halfway favorable showing it just doesn't seem right it doesn't make sense I don't want to see it if she wants to be in the crowd even that makes me nervous because people are so split on her. I would hate to hear her get booed, you know. But if she was sitting there with Holly Holm and Misha Tate, that would be freaking awesome. 
if the three of them were sitting there watching UFC 300, that'd that's be great, cool, right? Like I, that, I would love. But I don't want to see her in the cage unless she, unless she personally comes out and says, "I'm dedicating the next year of my life. I'm going to ATT or you know anywhere but the Glendale Fighting Club, and I'm going to train my butt off." Okay, then I'm like, let's do it. And whatever happens, happens. It's fine. But as long as I know you train to be M- to fight an MMA and to do your best. But coming off of WWE, going into into MMA, like, okay, next spring. I guess she could technically dedicate her whole year to it right now. Ah, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't want to see it. I don't think it's gonna it's gonna be good for her. Um, it would have to be a complete abandonment of WWE. <sighs> A complete, you know, full immersion into MMA, and that doesn't seem like something she's interested in. Yeah, I, I don't keep up with the storylines of WWE, but I do know that they seem to be setting her up to have beef with her buddy Shayna Baszler, who, you know, not for nothing. I mean, how close are they as friends? Shayna got to be on Ronda's team on Ultimate Fighter. I yep. think it's kind of like a Connor with his guys, like. They had a relationship before the show, and that's why Shayna probably got to be on Tough and be on Team Ronda, things like that, right? So they, and then now they're both in WWE. You know, it's a whole thing. So it's like she has a whole built-in thing she could be doing with WWE with her her bestie, right? Yeah. And it's like if you tell me you don't want MMA because you just want to do less schedule and go do this with your friend. I mean, that doesn't sound stupid. If anything, that sounds smart objectively for anybody else, right? Yeah. So I get that. I always go back to the same thing. MMA loves Ronda. Ronda, it's kind of like... I feel like it's like breaking up with a girlfriend and you thought you guys were amicable enough that you're going to be friends afterward, but now it's like they just want nothing to do with you. (laughs) They're okay letting you know that they're happy with their new boyfriend named WWE, but there's nothing that says like they ever want coffee, that they don't want to ever, you know, like it's sometimes and I maybe she does stuff behind the scenes that suggests otherwise publicly. It sometimes feels like Rhonda wants to forget the fact that the MMA thing ever happened. Like, I did my Olympics, and I'm WWE, and I'm a mom, and I like to game, and I have the farm. And sometimes I do ads for this video game on the app, on your <laughs> phone. But this idea that, like, she was ever a UFC fighter who finished and subbed girls and all this sometimes feels like she just doesn't even want to be associated with it. And if that's the case, okay, all right, fine. But then come out and say, guys, not interested. Thank you. Have a great 300. Because now it's like, well, I don't even like this idea that you may even are letting people suggest that this is a thing. Because it's like, you know. Why does she have to come out and say anything? I don't know. I guess that's, you know what, maybe that's fair too. That's fair too. I'll give you that one. But yeah, it's just like, that's the only way to relate it to Rhonda. It's just like, I never get any indication that she even cares for much UFC. She said in her limited interviews, I know she Mm -hmm. talked to Cormier and some other people. She'll sometimes watch and all that, but it's like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, do you watch it the way I sometimes watch Wheel of Fortune? I don't know. <laughs> Is that what you mean? You know? No, because when you watch it, you're not thinking, man, they really 
I really like you're not like you're not feeling burned by it. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. She she almost lives her life like she feels burned or betrayed by MMA somehow. Um, and there's I think I think she just um, yeah. I mean I don't know what else to say. She doesn't. She she just doesn't. It's not. She's just not that into you she's anymore. Just not that into you, I know. <laughs> But it's like, yeah, there's never any nostalgia. She's never looking back. Like you see Misha Tate posting like, oh, you know, she fought so-and-so. That's never part of her life. She's never nostalgically, you know, looking back at, at her UFC time. And, um, yeah, there's definitely a compartmentalizing going on there. And I don't know why. But um, I would love for her to just embrace the history, good, bad, and the ugly. Um, and, and, you know, but, but, okay, we say that, right? But then, but then the character that she plays at WWE is all about who she used to be. You know, it's the, she comes out with the MMA, you know, like the pseudo MMA gloves and she does the arm bar and she's the baddest woman on the planet. Yeah, I was going to say baddest woman alive. Yeah, so like she definitely used that legacy to build her WWE career, but, but, um, apart from being in the ring, but in her personal life, yeah, it's like she wouldn't even, to your analogy, she wouldn't even like uh, a, a post from her ex-boyfriend MMA, right? Like she wouldn't even dare to do that. So very weird. Uh, tough times, you know. Rhonda, we miss you. Miss you. We love you. You know, let's get some brunch. You know, we don't got to talk about the L's. We could just talk about the good times. Come on. <laughs> um, long story short, uh you could bring back like a Marion Renault, someone like that, okay. who's just like That's that. But but even yeah, but even then, I'm like, if we're just gonna do that, I'd rather not. I'd rather I'd rather they do a ceremony and she kind of gets honored with something in the cage and gets to greet the fans and celebrate years of MMA. But at, at that point, then it's like Ronda would probably be like, yeah, I'll just retweet something. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. <laughs> I'm going to be on Twitch. It's like, all yeah, right, then. Yeah, we'll be playing Dungeons yeah. and... Whatever game yeah, she's promoting. Yeah. I don't do the phone games. I, I got into it a bit, Pandemic and all that, and it's like, yeah, um, I understand what people say. It's like, these are addicting. It's uh-huh. not healthy all the time. Every now and then, moderation. If you do it in moderation, I, I get it. That's right. Anyway, um, we have a very big one. The BFFs here to talk about the BMF again. I love your analogy that you said last time. Like, when Michael Jackson left, they didn't try to find a new king of pop. <laughs> there was him yep. and that's it. We have a BMF. We don't need a new BMF. So why are we... I feel it, but then I'm like, you know, these two are some really bad dudes. So I don't hate it in that way. So to talk about it before we talk about the fights, the Masvidal Nate Diaz thing was such a perfect storm. The personalities, Nate has his following. Remember, Nate had beaten Conor McGregor and all that. He'd made his name. Masvidal was coming off the flying knee of Ben Askren. He'd embraced the Tony Montana Scarface Miami persona. Loved it. Remember they had that epic poster, like the parental advisory one? That's right, Um, Oh my god, it was just such a perfect thing. Obviously there was this, it was new, and the rock is part of it. All of that just works so well. 
I think Trump was there, Colby was there, there's so many elements to it. Now with, you know, Dustin, Justin, not in the cage, they are just as BMF, if not more, than uh, Nate and Jorge. Outside the cage, you know, you got, uh, Dustin is in the Hall of Fame for doing charity work, for crying out loud. (laughs) My word, I mean, he's so nice. Justin is kind of more, does his own thing and keeps to himself. Um, I think he would tell you I'm way more exciting inside the cage than I am outside of it. I'm not like Cowboy Cerrone, you know, who, you know, out there just going extreme every, any given Sunday. Yeah. So it's a little different, but inside the cage, you're talking about a really good fight. And the card itself, there's so much nostalgia for so many guys. Tony Ferguson, I mean, how many big fights? Derek Lewis, how many main events and big fights? Uh, Blahovich and Alex Pereira at 205. Fun fight, objectively. Good fights and good time in their career for both of them. Coming off big fights, uh, obviously. So there's so much nostalgia. Kevin Holland, Michael Chiesa, you know. Uh, so many guys who have been in several main events. I love it. I think it makes for a really good card for the fans. Particularly longtime fans. Like, uh, I'll say this with the most respect. Sean O'Malley doesn't have that nostalgia for me like these guys do, you know? I think he will eventually, particularly for new fans who are coming up with him particularly. But, like, there's a difference, and these guys have it. Guys like Sean and some of these younger stars, they just don't yet. And that's just part of the business. So that's what I really like about this Saturday's card. Like, for example, compared to 290 and some of the other ones you've had. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, we could talk about it all day. We got a doubleheader to break down. Let's start. Jan Blahovich, Alex Pereira. Obviously, Blahovich coming off that draw with Magomed and Goliath for the vacant title. Pereira stopped by Adesanya in April, moving up, making, in my opinion, a rather quick turnaround at 205 to take on a former champion. Not for nothing, the cloud of now, there's a vacant title at 205. Winner of this one, in my opinion, probably gets Yuri Prohoshka in December if it's if they're healthy enough. So, Natalie, Alex is a big middleweight. He's expected to not be drawn out his body at 205. But, once again, 85 to 205 is 200. Sorry, it is 20 pounds in between. The athletes, most 205ers we'll talk about, they probably walk around north of 230, maybe around 240 for like a bigger dude like a Johnny Walker, for example. This is a big jump. And you have a older but very versatile, very elite level veteran in Blahovich taking on Pereira. And now, while I do acknowledge that Blahovich, I thought Ankolaev just ran out of time. He would have won that fight. I thought, you know, Rakic was doing well against Blahovich. If this feels like a good time to get a guy like Jan, it probably is. But now you got to talk about the, uh, you know, what do I always talk about? The durability, you know, in Pereira coming off a knockout. And the fact that you are moving up in weight to take on another big athlete. Those are big factors that they got to overcome. What are you thinking about this fight? Yeah, this is exciting for many reasons. Um, first, Alex Pereira up in the weight class and for all the reasons you ex- you stated over what a big jump it is 
and the fast turnaround. And, you know, him still being a big a big name, former champ who beat Adesanya, then, you know, of course got beat by him, but coming into this with a, an opportunity to be very close to that belt again and, um, at 205 this time rather quickly against, uh, you know, Polish power over here, Jan Blachowicz, with those leg kicks that are just brutal beyond words. And, you know, how old is Jan? He's got to be... Look at my tapology here, I but... So I think he's, he's older, right? Yeah, right? He's a lot older. So I'm thinking speed. Um, Pereira's definitely got the advantage. Just old man strength and grit. 40. Obviously goes to Jan. And experience, that's... that's I feel like that's tied. You know, they've both been fighting for a long time. Just, you know, Pereira's just newer to the to the UFC than Blahovich. But both former champs and, um, right? Blahovich was champ, right? Did yes. He? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, I think there's going to be, like, no grappling. They're just going to stand there and kick the heck out of each other's shins and heads and punch each other. And... You know, my big the big question is how long is it going to be hard for Prayer to get used to fighting at 205, or is this just going to be easy? It's just going to feel like butter, right? Because now he's not going to be all drained and tired. Um, and can Blahovich keep up with the younger man? I think I think Polish power is still Polish power, so I think he's going to find a way to survive some some hard punches, that left hook from Pereira. I think he's going to find a way to survive that or to evade it. And uh, I think TKO Blahovich round three. Ooh, I'm digging it. Say it with your chest, Natalie. (laughs) Um, You know, yeah, I, I think about that. It's only been two years since the Adesanya fight. Now, 40 is 40 in any athletic competition, and I'll acknowledge that right now. That being said, he's kind of like this guy who has gotten better late in his career overall, has Blahovich kind of just started putting it together. I feel like he, more than anyone else that Pereira has fought in MMA, he is the most high-level guy who's going to look to attack with a complete game. What I mean by that, yes, Adesanya knew he had takedowns there, but probably not expected to be a big part of the diet. Blahovich is, as much as I'd also love to watch them bang, let me make that clear, I do think that he is aware we're not just going to stand there and give him his best opportunity to stay in this fight. We're going to touch him up a bit, look to change levels, make him work, make him carry the weight, make him worry about all those different facets. He's not Adesanya. And Blahovich isn't going to try to be. I think that he's going to look to just, you know, tie him up, make him wear him out, be smart, take your time. One thing that kind of helps them both cardio-wise, they're not really known for being this fast, you know, striker. Both of them are a little more patient in plotting. Pick your spots, put yourself in the best position to have the most power shots landed and, and thrown in the fight. So they're not looking to attack with as much high volume as some of the other guys will. And I think that's huge for Blahovich because if he can avoid the power of Pereira, I tend to favor him the later the fight goes. Now, age, youthfulness, all of that helps Pereira. 
um, particularly his pedigree in uh, kickboxing and Muay Thai. I think that if it does stay on the feet, if he's executing a good game plan, that's when all of that age starts to feel like it's showing on Blahovich. particularly if you could do a good job keeping him off of you, stick and move, all of that would work for Pereira. Once again, that all depends on Blahovich's age and speed. You know, if he's a little more compromised than before, that helps Pereira. If Pereira's durability, you know, is a little compromised, that's another one. But a younger Alex Pereira, if he's getting himself going on the feet, that could be a big problem for a guy like Blahovich. So that's why Blahovich needs to have a full, you know, arsenal to break down a guy like uh, the former middleweight champion. I'm with you. I do like Blahovich. I just think he's got the more complete game to get it done. And respectfully to Pereira, I think that the time you should take coming off getting knocked out cold, the time to focus on making yourself a more natural light heavyweight, you know, think Dustin Poirier. He admitted it takes some time, even 10 pounds, to go from featherweight to lightweight. Middleweight to light heavyweight is another kettle of fish. You've got to do some lifting, eat a lot of chickens, all this good stuff. So I think that that all helps Blahovich right now. And I, I'm with you too. I want something dramatic. I want a second round knockout for Jan Blahovich. Natalie, okay. I'm going with that. I'm saying it with my chest too. All right. I like it. Let's go. Uh, finally, the the BMFs, Dustin and Justin, I believe their first fight was in 2018. That was a banger. I was just watching it yesterday. Man, they got after it just as much as you would expect, you know, them to do. Uh, you know, this is before they went on to interim titles and all that. And you know what? Um, the best way to break this down... Justin Gaethje's... They, they both ha, are effective with the calf kicks. I'd argue Justin's game, his shot selection and making it work is just more... Uh, he's just more effective at it. His, he just implements it a lot smoother. Whereas I think Poirier, I think he only looks for it when he feels his opponent is being a little more patient and a little more weary of entering the distance and throwing with him. And so in that way, I acknowledge that Justin maybe will uh, has the full arsenal. I think Dustin, though, Dustin is more uh, Dustin is only more likely to use it if we're getting patient. I think that Dustin's best ability is his shot selection when he's trying to come in, take his time. I was watching the breakdown of the first fight. His timing every time Justin went for the leg kick. Uh, was really on. I acknowledge that Justin has put on more weight. He's probably the more naturally heavy-handed fighter. I think you just have, once again, as much as they've grown in their game, Justin will brawl a little more and create that chaos. Dustin will kind of keep it. It's kind of like a, you know, muscle car versus an exotic. Both of them drive fast, handle amazing. I think there's a little more power behind Justin when he gets going. I think there's just a little more finesse behind Dustin when he gets going. Both of them get after it. It's going to be a fun fight. What do you have? Yeah, I agree. Dustin Poirier is the more slick striker for sure. Uh, 
just in his stance, his head movement, his footwork. And so he's more likely to to launch a, a you know really successful combination than I think Justin Gaethje is. But Justin Gaethje is going to be pushing forward, and everything he throws, he throws with bad intentions, right? He's not much of a jabber. It's you know hard leg kicks, hard overhands, and he's pushing forward, and they can both grapple. So this is like okay, and you know the first fight was still what Justin's was that his second fight in UFC? I think it was his third. I think he yeah, it was his third because okay, he beat so Johnson, fought Johnson, Eddie, then he fought Eddie Dustin. Alvarez. Okay, and Alvarez and Poirier, those fights were the ones where they were going back and forth. It was brutal. He was hurting them, they were hurting him, but in the end, he just got hurt more, right? Yeah. And then he changed his strategy. He's less of a he doesn't do the cover up and eat punches thing anymore like he used to, right? So this is really truly a, a different Justin Gaethje than we saw fight the first Dustin Poirier. Or we saw fight Dustin Poirier the first time. Now of course Poirier's made improvements too, but I feel like Justin has made way more from their first fight to now. Uh, more obvious ones. So I'm gonna be looking to see how patient Justin can stay this time. Uh, against Poirier he's not so focused on putting on the big show like he was at the beginning even though he still always puts on a heck of a show he's always going to war with everybody but he's just smarter about it now so with him being more of a wild man and Dustin Poirier being more of a you know sweet science striker and then still both of them are you know prone to barn burners you know you're going to get a heck of a good fight you're gonna get your money's worth this is definitely one of those where i always say you know it's worth the price of the pay-per-view alone they're gonna come out as soon as the bell rings or the horn blows whatever it is and just start getting after it but who the heck is gonna win this fight oh man i really it's i really don't know i'm gonna pick justin gaethje i think maybe he'll be able to land a, a hard enough shot and get Dustin down and finish him I think maybe he can finish Dustin ground and pound round four but it's hard to count either one of these guys out but that's my pick so uh, I'll be honest it's one of those the head and heart yeah. to be honest with you it, it, I just I, I don't know another way to really say it um what I would acknowledge is that it kind of feels both of the remember Justin Gaethje said this is my last title run and I think he essentially implied if I lose again I'm not gonna fight the Fazeevs of the world I'm not gonna fight the Armin Sarukians of the world I'm just gonna call it a day and go live my life you know I've been at it been in a lot of wars Kind of like the Robbie Lawler thing. It's like, I mean, you got nothing more to prove. The fans love you no matter what already. Dustin, you kind of feel like he might try a second life at welterweight. But also then it kind of gets into that, well, you know, how many more trips through the breach do we have, right, to make this run? I feel like Gaethje feels like it's a little more imperative. Kind of like he needs it more. Kind of like he... He is further down the line somehow than Dustin with it. And maybe that just feels like the wars and the mileage, right? 
whenever I look at this, I feel like my head says Poirier, my heart says Gaethje. I feel like Justin Gaethje still is one of the toughest fights for anybody. I think that he might be, outside of Volkanovski, potentially stylistically the toughest fight for Mahachev. And in that way, I would love to see it for him. Like, I want to tell you Dustin Poirier right now because, like, you asked me, like, who's winning on Saturday? Like, objectively, it's like Poirier. I know. That's part of what, again, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm split with you too. My head, heart, because that's the, the little voice in my head also says Poirier. <laughs> it's like, who's winning on Saturday? Like, no, like that game, I know they did it on, like, the show Friends. Like, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Like, who's winning? Poirier. <laughs> I'm going Justin Gaethje too. Yeah, baby. I just, oh, it's they're so nice. They're good guys. I don't <laughs> want to see them lose either way, but you got to pick somebody, right? So somebody. that's all it is. I, it's such a good fight. I don't even like picking this one. I'm not gonna lie, but um, yeah, I'll go Justin. I just think zig instead of zag, force the issue a little bit. Um. Poirier, if he's on, it makes it's going to be another great fight. Obviously, no one just walks through Justin Gaethje. Um, even when he's lost in the first round, like with Charles, I mean, he was getting Charles earlier. So, it, it's just one of those fights. Uh, Natalie, Bellator Ryzen, AJ McKee, Patricky Pitbull, Kyoji Horiguchi fighting for the flyweight title. I, I'm a little unclear if it's I'm 99% sure it's tape delay to air in prime time on Showtime on Saturday, which I'm not going to lie, feels like the worst move they could have made. Um, I feel like they should have just gone Japanese local time and make it so let them fight late at night, let them fight early in the morning. But it kind of felt like, how do you set it up that they fall on a Saturday in the same time slot as a UFC pay-per-view, you know? Yep. Uh, um... Look, they're objectively good fights. Kana Watanabe, you know, back in Japan, all that. They're not bad fights, but it once again, it's like, okay, you know, like... I don't know how many people are going to be sitting there talking about AJ and Patricky when you got the BMF going on. And then not for nothing, Terrence Crawford, uh, Errol Spence Jr. finally being in the ring... Uh, just kind of like that ultimate welterweight bragging rights right now. I mean, these are the two best guys... And I believe what used to be Floyd Mayweather's weight class, maybe one above, but it's like, bro, th- these are the guys who have now taken the mantle of arguably the two most technically sound boxers since Floyd, and they're finally colliding to get after it. I mean, that fight sells itself. I know a lot of fans are excited for it. I, I mean, you know, it's just a packed Saturday. What are your thoughts on that as we head into next week? Yeah, it's, it's a packed Saturday, but, you know... I only have eyes for the BMF fight, um, and so that's it. <laughs> I mean, something's getting something's gonna be watched after the fact, right? Like, oh, are they yeah, fighting yeah. right oh, now? Well, it's like I'll go back and watch the rise and stuff. Um, but in the moment, uh, it's gonna be a BMF. I, I mean, it, I hate nights like this because it's like you want to enjoy it all, but it's like guys you can't be competing on time slots. It's just yeah, come on, guys. It's just too, I don't know, because it's like, you know, you're going to be hyped over it. So it's like, it's just too much. It's just a little too much. 
But anyway, we'll, we'll figure it out as, as we always do. Um, Natalie, next week, oh, not for nothing, so Umar Nurmagomedov was out at the fight with Corey Sanhagen. Rob Font is now stepping in. You know, Song Yudong was going to fight him in Boston, so now you end up on short notice. Rob Font abbreviates his camp. Corey Sanhagen changes to a stylistically different opponent. And we have uh, Sanhagen versus Font on Saturday in Nashville. Tatiana Suarez, Jessica Andrade is also on the card. And then, not for nothing, this guy named Jake Paul, your favorite fighter in the game, taking on Nate Diaz. What are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I was initially excited about this fight, but I'm just going back to what I always felt when he, for all of his matchups against older MMA fighters, is, oh, geez, I don't know if this is going to end well. And so that's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> You know, I, I gotta say, this feels like the most, um, it's like the biggest example of why the Jake Paul experiment has run its course. And I'm not saying because we've seen his best boxing ever. He may still continue to improve and win and grow. I'll, I'll say that right now. But it kind of feels like, well, there's no mystique, there's no novelty they're essentially selling the same thing they've sold to us like six times now or something like that, right? With Askren, with Tyron, with Anderson. Um, not the Tommy Fury one. I'll take that off the board because that was another boxer. But it's like Jake Paul fighting a older, smaller ex-UFC fighter. And it's like, bruh, come on. Like, yeah. And so the novelty is kind of worn off. There's no mystery, you know, how good he is. If anything, I'm just kind of like, for Nate Diaz, it's like, man, like you, like you got to represent for this one almost for yourself too now. Because it's like, like with respect to Tyron and guys like that, like there's kind of nothing to prove, you know, like it happens, you test yourself. For Nate, with the whole gangster persona and all that, like, you know, like, bro, like, I take it to the cage, like, I used to take it to the street when I fought, you know, you you can't, you can't act as cool if you lose to Jake Paul, you know what I mean? Yeah, you just can't. That's the only thing I keep getting at, it's like, Nate, you really gotta represent, because I don't know that you're... The whole vibe is gonna be as cool if we know if we see you lose this one. It's done, dude. It's over. You can't yeah. talk to anybody about anything if you lose to that guy. You know, the BMF thing was like, all right, it's just two 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 tough street dudes fighting each other. Someone's always got to lose. Someone's always got to win. So no big deal. Yeah. But this guy, like this influencer with all the tattoos and used to act on the Disney Channel. <laughs> I don't know, but um, look, obviously it'll be what it is. Um, objectively, look, I'm glad we see Corey Sanhagen. I still feel like he should get the Marab fight, but I get it, you know. Things happen, guys are hurt, we've got to keep the ball rolling, but for sure, uh, I hope for a good fight with him and Rob. It's good to see Tatiana back. I think she could complicate the whole strawweight title picture with a victory. And then, yeah, top that off, you're going to have the Nate and Jake stuff probably happening close to the same time. Let's get after it. So, yep. there we are. Anyway, guys, thank you for hanging out. The BFFs talking about the BMF once again. We'll be back next week. Remember, like, comment, subscribe. 
we'll be back.